services of Ash and Flow. This is Unbillable Hours, a podcast about professional services marketing. Stick around and listen to our insights, tips, and best practices to improve your firm's marketing and even your career. Welcome to this episode of the Unbill Blouse podcast, which is a slight change of pace from our usual procedure because Ash is not here, but I have Elizabeth Haar from Hinge here, or is it Liz Elizabeth? I don't know. Well, it's both, but most people call me Liz. All right. So so I'll stick with this. That's okay. So you're a partner at Hinge, a firm which I think listeners will know, the marketing service provider based in the US who does all the research, right? We look on in the professional services world. And you or Hinge or Hinge and more specifically, you, Carl Feldman and Rudy Fredrickson, your colleagues have just published a new book based on all the research again, The Visible authority or the visible expert revolution sorry is the title right and yes that's what is what prompted us to invite you here and see if we can ask a few questions about it yes um, we're very excited about it how can i ask how was the launch is it, it's still in progress right or is it well we officially it is in progress we officially launched august 1st but okay. as book launches go it has a long period yeah <laughs> Of multiple activities. So we're still feeling the highs, if you will, of having launched and we're just <laughs> so excited about it. All right. And the highs of probably having finished the project, right? Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's probably the biggest one. <laughs> yeah. That's why I that's why I don't try to write a book because I like the idea of having written one, but I don't like the idea of writing. But you, you probably heard that joke. But I mean, maybe going into the subject matter here. So if I, I try, I'll try to summarize it. I think it's because I had the opportunity to skim through an early reader's edition. I think it's it's both a pitch for, and then almost a manual for how to run Visible Experts program in a professional services firm, right? Where Visible Expert is the idea to have individual thought leaders in your firm. So, so consultants, subject matter experts who are quote unquote out there and speak and publish so that they are seen as the experts they are. And would you add something to that or? (laughs) Well, I think that's a great characterization. I think it is a very practical how to, but it also, I think it's also a great book for leaders of firms because it helps under, it helps them understand the whys and the wherefores, not just yeah. how you do this, but what is the impact to your firm? Why should you invest in this? Why does it make sense? Why now? So I think it's a great book yeah. for leaders as they're thinking about growth strategies for their own firms. Yeah, which I liked a lot when I read through it, because especially the first part of it, where you make sort of make the case for the approach is based on meaty chunks of hint research, lots of good data in there. So you referenced the question right there. Why this approach? I ha- I noted down in my notes here the question, why this book and why now, right? So can you summarize some of the changes in consultancy marketing you, you see and describe there in, in the research that make this so valuable at the moment? Yeah, I think the best way to answer that is to kind of go back to why we released the first edition of this book. Because when we released right, the yeah. first edition, one thing that professional services was just getting used to was this notion of you can't go into the marketplace with the hard sell. I mean, sure, there's a time and place for giving the hard sell. But really, when it comes to professional services, 
People want to be educated. Our yeah. prospective clients, they're not looking for the hard sell. They don't want that. Before they give you permission to do that, you have to show up in a way that is going to make a meaningful impact on the thing that keeps them up at night. How do you do that? It's through having expertise. So that was kind of new, you know, several years ago where people weren't yeah. really convinced, like, do I really need to blog? That just sounds like some sort of fad. And yeah. uh, so we wrote the first edition to just really start teaching professionals in professional services that look, there is a new way of going to market here and it's all about expertise. Mm -hmm. Now, fast forward several years, I think everyone is well aware of the value of having informative content like articles and getting on the speaking circuit and networking and social media channels. I think we don't need to convince people of that anymore, yeah. but what has shifted is all of that has accelerated. So now more than ever, I call them buyers. So like your prospective yeah. clients, my prospective clients, now more than ever, they are making decisions through digital channels. They are judging and vetting you primarily on your website before you ever get the chance to shake their hand or have a phone call. Yeah. And so if you don't show up as an expert, you likely will never hear from these folks. In fact, I have a question for you. So you know how important referrals are in professional services. Very yeah. important. It's never going to go away. Guess if you were to, so one out of 10, how many referrals do you think you hear back from just on average? Like if someone refers you and says, oh, you got to talk to these guys, they're amazing. How many out of 10, how many people do you think you would actually call you? Oh my goodness. I would expect that to vary a little bit between the types of consulting you do. This yeah. must have stuff people actually need. And it's nice to have stuff. Yeah. Feel urgency. So I'll say, I'll go below half and say four out of 10 actually yeah. reach out and speak to me. Would that be fair? It's actually between one and two. Again, these are average. Oh. <laughs> All <laughs> right. One and a half. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's you hear, in other words, you hear from very few people who get yeah. referred to you. And that is because of the way they are learning and judging and vetting and making decisions. So if you don't show up competently as the expert, and there's lots of ways you can do that, you're not going to get the call. Yeah. So that's really what's new. And that's why we released the second edition of this book, because nice. we're constantly doing research on this and the research really confirms this to be the case. And this trend this is not a fad. This is here to stay. It's not no. going away. And I think if anyone follows the software as a service marketing space, it's a huge topic there, right? They have this concept of dark social, which is just a repackaged version of word of mouth. But so many people have hit the social media networks, also in a professional context now, that the good old word of mouth, the good old personal or referral or interpersonal mention of names, that's back and it's happening online, which I yeah. thought is, makes your book so tell me. I actually, I saw an article this week and I thought of sending it your way and then I forgot, but I'll find it. Where someone made the case, not for professional services, but in broad strokes in general, that the effect, the efficacy of stuff of channels like search, for example, or paid ads across both social and elsewhere is falling. 
and the leverage of in influencer marketing, which was the phrase they used, similar idea probably, right? Visible experts was rising on the, in comparison. So the mix shifting, right? Which I thought was interesting because it's the same observation you have in your book, but from a slightly different context. I was like, oh my God, I see this everywhere now. <laughs> Having the actual people visible and engaged is the trick. Okay, so that's a cool reason for publishing the book and also for the metaphor. But on this podcast, we always drum the beat off, you know, the, we need to take the client's perspective and what's the value for them, which again, I like in your book because you do spend a chapter on that and you have numbers there as well, right? Why? What's the benefit to clients if, yeah. if my firm actually has a few visible experts in its ranks? What do they get out of it? Yeah, you know, well, first, you're absolutely right. I mean, none of us are in business purely for ourselves. It's really to be beneficial to an audience, to our clients yeah. and our prospective clients. So we absolutely must, in everything we do, we must take their perspective into account. And, you know, there's a really old saying in the hallways of business, and that is no one ever got fired for hiring IBM. And yeah. in modern language, you know, it's like no one's going to get fired for hiring the expert because clients and the firms like who, yeah. who they work with benefit many fold when you not just hire somebody to solve your problem, but you hire an expert to solve your problem versus yeah. hiring a generalist. So, so the real benefits, you know, the real top benefit is just clients say, well, we just learn from working with them. I mean, that transfer of knowledge, especially in the consulting world, is what they are buying. Nobody wants to just pay somebody to do it and sit in a closet and like make magic happen. They hire people because they want to learn from them and potentially take over some of those tasks internally and maybe hire people to do that job later. But the point is, nobody's interested in hiring someone to do this backhand magic and make stuff happen without an explanation. Yeah. Yeah. And so- Would you say, it's slightly tangential, but would you say that the visible experts, is, you define them, are they, they deliver this benefit to a greater extent because they're just better at explaining stuff? But I would presume if you think and write and publish a lot because you're a visible expert, you can't help but getting better at transferring your knowledge that's right. <laughs> Out That's of your right. head and to other people, which is a bit different from if I if you only ever focus on getting the job done, your didactics, for lack of a better word, is probably not at the same That's level, right? That's right. So you're touching on something really important here. A visible expert has many components. Otherwise, you're not a visible expert. One yeah. of the hallmarks of a visible expert is that they are very proficient at explaining complex things in a simple manner. They are master mm -hmm. communicators. If yeah. you were if you were a very cerebral person and you had some expertise but you couldn't communicate it, you wouldn't be a visible expert ever because nobody would want to put you on the stage and nobody would want to read your articles and nobody yeah. would want to hire you because if you can't communicate then your expertise is all for naught so yeah. you're touching on something very important and that is in fact a hallmark of a visible expert that they can communicate things in a clear understandable digestible fashion and so it's no surprise that transfer of knowledge is a major benefit but i'll tell you another one Another mm -hmm. major advantage clients articulate when they hire visible experts is 
these experts introduce a solution that was previously not ever thought about. And that's another reason you hire experts because they're thinking outside of what you're capable of doing. They bring new solutions, new ideas to the table. And that's another huge yeah. The bar is getting higher there to, <laughs> to get to respect for that. But just inserting this here, so the listeners know it, I think you it's not like an entry requirement, right? It's a journey and you get to build these skills and the capabilities as you follow the process, which you describe in the later half of the book. But I, I didn't want to get too much into that. People should pick up a copy and read it <laughs> if they want to get to that. But I mean, this is great. So there is, and there, there are more stats in it. I remember distinctly that there is a, a chart with several, a bar chart with several bars. So there's client benefits in, in having these experts. And I think that is fair now to go back maybe to the firm and maybe flip this around. So we understood why the time of this approach has come, but are there tangible benefits to the firm as well might be the next question. And of course you had data on that as well. So do you yeah. want to list a few of those? What are the business benefits on the firm? Yeah, side? I mean, when I think of benefits to the firm, I really think of three primary benefits. One is it has a strong impact on your revenues. Visible yeah. experts, and we've the research shows that a visible expert can charge many times more the billable rate than the average professional. And we have a chart that shows it, but for the yeah. purposes of this, it's it's not just a little bit more, it's like 10 times more <laughs> when you are when you've reached very high levels of visibility. Yeah. So it, number one, it may, has a has an impact on your bottom line financials. Number two is what we call the halo effect. So this is not a concept that hinge made up. This is a well-known psychological mm-hmm phenomenon that Thorndike wrote about in like the early 1900s, so way before our time. And what he was talking about is what's good for one is good for the many and the good expands. So when you have experts within your firm who are visible and they're getting on the speaking docket and they get new clients and all that, well, there's a halo effect and that's very good for your firm as well. And number three, The same type of strategy that helps businesses bring in more business, which is develop visible experts, is the same type of strategy that helps companies attract and retain top talent. And you and I both know that is a major thing that firms are grappling with all over the world across all different industries is this war for talent. And in another body of research, we found that top talent is more attracted to companies when they go to the company's website and they see that, hey, there there's some key leaders who are regularly writing articles and, oh, they speak and they go to these conferences and, wow, they're really proficient in social channels. That signals to them that, hey, I'm not going to be a cog in the wheel if I join this yeah. company. I too might be developed as a visible expert. So those are really the top three. There's many more, but if I were a leader, those would really resonate with me. Yeah, no, fully agree. And especially the, well, I was, I was impressed by the breakdown of the, I think you use the returns, the revenue, I think you describe in yeah. daily rates or what the hard metric was. Also in this, you show, and I mentioned that it is a journey, right? Nobody is, or very few people are probably born visible expert, but it's sort of a, it's a development, developmental journey. You break this down from, I'm a sort of a regional, right? 
was originally visible expert to everybody in the nation knows me in my niche or like that's always the context right which maybe is a good segue to the obvious question then and please don't go through all the <laughs> books sure. details but sure. But you talk about this as a strategy and you very much describe it as something that the firm as an organization does quite deliberately, right? So it's not the rainmaker, I have this one guy who's really good at LinkedIn approach, but it's sort of a methodological and strategic way of going about it. Can you, in high level, describe a little bit about how do you go about developing at least yeah. one visible expert in, yeah. in the firm? Yeah, absolutely. So in a in a very condensed version, the very first thing you need to do before you think about anything at all is what is my area of expertise? What is my niche? Because yeah. without that, you're just spinning wheels. And so what I'm talking about is identifying a very specific area that is not only something natural to you, but is relevant to your audience, something that people care about. And yeah. lay a stake in the ground around an area of expertise. So that's number one. Number two is once you've identified that, then research the audience that you're going to bring that expertise to. Figure out within that domain area of expertise, how does that apply to your audience's chief concerns? How are you going to solve their problems? You should also study the competition and see who else is playing in that field and yeah. how are they talking about it? So research, number two. Number three, the third step is with all of that knowledge, develop what I'm going to call your expertise platform. In other mm -hmm. words, you know, you're not going to be the only one in the world that is that has <laughs> this area of expertise. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so- so your platform is, well, how are you different? How are you different from the others who say they have the same expertise? How do mm. you articulate that difference? And finally, build a model for the type of content you're going to produce that proves you have that expertise. So in other yeah. words, don't try, this is the biggest mistake I see professionals make. They say, ooh, I'm an expert in X. I can literally write about a hundred things <laughs> and yeah. then they inadvertently become generalists. So the key here, and this is probably the single mm -hmm. most important piece of advice for the journey. The key is within your area of expertise, discover some finite number of issues around yeah. which you can continually over like a decade write content and speak and publish and network around. That's how you get velocity around your brand yeah. as an expert. So that middle part is so, so critical. And then the final piece is develop, you know, figure out what techniques you need to employ based on how your audience learns, what channels should you be visible in, where should you be speaking, where should you be networking, that whole toolkit is should only be developed after you have this early piece, these early pieces yeah. of the journey defined. I like this a lot because you do tie it back to the person, right? And say, you know, pick what you're knowledgeable about, pick maybe methods of communicating that are you that you're comfortable with, right? Not everybody's a writer, not everybody likes podcasts. Well, fine, yeah. pick one. And to your point with the hundreds of ideas, I mean, if uh, the, you. If you have too much stuff going on, then ending up a generalist is if you're lucky. I know lots of people who the phenomenon I see a lot is they then they start collecting content ideas 
And because they're too broad, it becomes a spreadsheet with 120 rows in it. And none of those ever get turned into something. So it's much better to have three because, and then eventually try write one of them. Because if your wish list has 120 items, it it becomes very burdensome and you open the spreadsheet and you're like, oh my God, so much stuff. I can't even pick one. And so you don't do anything. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But I also like, and I'm just calling this out because it's a bit of a bugbear of mine. Whenever you talk about content creation, there is sometimes you can find advice of, oh, just try and just start and just, you know, throw something against the wall that sticks. I'm against that a little bit in the context of professional services. And I'm very much in your camp. We should spend some time thinking about what to put out. I'm not saying be a perfectionist and never start. I'm not saying don't try things. But I'm saying maybe think about it for more than 10 minutes before just trying anything because, yeah, there is a, at the firm, at least probably also you as a person have a reputation. You should make sure that you bring your best, your best attempt at least, right, at this type of stuff. So that's an, another reason why I like the very deliberate strategy, especially the research part, which almost guarantees to prevent you from trying nonsensical stuff. If you do the research, if you get the research right, I think that's a very important component. You you will know what to say. And then yeah, the rest can be experiments, right? Yeah. That's right. And I always say without the research, without the proper due diligence and proper thinking, all you're doing is contributing to the noise. We have enough yeah. noise. So yeah. don't and I mean, <laughs> Yeah. And I think I'm, I've been doing this for, I'm not, I don't know, as coming up on 15 years, maybe I still get surprised by the disconnect between what experts think they're buyers, audience, whatever, why, what they want to know and why they tune in. And then the actual stuff they found out once they do the research, it's just, I think the French call it the deformation professionnelle, right? It's the condition. You are the expert. So by definition, you are deep in the stuff. You see the details, you read the machines, the people you try to build a relationship with spent maybe 0.2% of their week thinking about the same stuff, if ever. So there's a huge, so doing the research would set you up to be successful. Let's leave it there. Not doing it is usually, yeah, get, you have to get very lucky to succeed if you don't know where to go. But you, because you speak about this as a process and there's tools and platforms involved, I was wondering, and maybe we have to riff on this a little bit, but Ash and I often talk about the role the marketing function has in a mid-sized firm, even larger firm, or the marketing colleagues have. I think in the past, or I even say this today, a lot of the tactical things that are implied by your model would have been done by the marketing team, or they are still done today, right? They're still, in, I know lots of MDs who have their LinkedIn posts written by an intern and the intern also has the password, right? So it's not, so it's not them. But what you propose here, and I think that it's right, is that the experts have to be much more involved and hands-on, but I'm guessing marketing still can play a role. Where do you see that role headed? So, because... Pure outsourcing, right? Please write my post for me and let me know when it's done. That doesn't seem to be the way forward here. So, so how does the how does this play out in the future? Well, it's an interesting question, and I think marketing has a huge role, whether it's an internal team or an outsourced team. Now, you're yeah. right. Gone are the days when you just hire somebody who doesn't know you very well, who doesn't know your audience, and as you say, like, hey, can you just polish this up, put it out. That's, yeah. you do not do that. If you outsource this, the that marketing team you outsource this to should know you 
should know your audience, should know the competition just as strongly as your internal marketing team does. So from whether you do this internally, a lot of firms do outsource the support of this because yeah. it is so much support that is required. But I just, you're right. The Whoever you outsource it to has to know their stuff. So that's one. Yeah. But that aside, the marketing function is critically important here. So the role that the marketing function can play is number one, creating the framework for everything that the expert mm. is going to do. And, you know, the editorial calendar and making sure that editorial calendar ties to the overall firm's objectives and, and is having everybody kind of lined up together so that there's not these independent little yeah. strategies going on. And the other role that marketing can play is in the, I'll just call it the outreach. So researching, identifying the proper uh, speaking venues, publishing venues, getting their experts quoted. So it's kind of like a PR, a digital PR flavor to it. So kind of that tactical, as you said. And then third, Mm -hmm. a very important role that the marketing team plays that the expert cannot play is in measuring and tracking and reporting. So analytics. An expert is not going to have that skill set and they're sort of too close to be able to see it. So the marketing team can play a huge role in continually measuring how the experts are doing, uh, how it's everything they're doing is performing, reporting on that and doing it consistently so that they can figure out where to course correct or what to repeat. It's getting a ton of velocity. That those are the three really important functions that yeah. marketing team can play. And I think that's that sounds very valid and true for whatever the firm size, right? I think yeah. once it gets a really large place, there's probably another role to play. If there's an entire visible experts program with dozens, if not hundreds of people, what you just said about the you know aligning editorial calendars and making sure messaging is within guidelines and so forth that becomes quite a job i would imagine so so there's probably also the program management aspect of it can grow with the firm size that's very interesting and because we had we had a guest on previously who brought up the idea of the leveraged consultant implying basically that the old days of i'll call it outsource your thinking to the marketing department right you give them a topic they draft a blog post you sort of redline it on the plane, right? Because you don't really have made time for it. And then it gets published. That is over. And the consultants have to involve themselves more in the production process in the sense that they have to do more of the thinking and then the actual, the publishing or the, like you said, the research and then the producing of content and so forth. That still gets, you can still outsource. Well, you have to, I think you you put it correctly. You have to outsource this because, you know, these colleagues are busy and they have to be billable. So they can't be, That's right. they can't be That's putting right. up the LinkedIn carousels themselves probably. Right. But That's right. You know, an expert, they do need to be billable and they need to build the pipeline and bring in business and serve clients. So that's what they need to do. They don't have to write their content. They don't have to yeah. even put up, uh, you use social media as a great point. Like, you can have, as long as your marketing team is tuned into the strategy, you can have people do that for the expert, but where the expert would need to come in is let's say they do have a great LinkedIn post. Well, the expert needs to be on the hook for a couple hours of the day while that oh, post yeah, is live, the monitor mm-hmm. and 
and because they they want to bring that authenticity to the equation, that's what this is all about. And so they want to be the ones to respond to anything that gets asked or commented on LinkedIn, for example. But other than that, they can have their content ghost written for them. They can be interviewed by an expert interviewer slash journalist who really knows how to do that. They can have lots of support, uh, but they're on the hook for the authentic piece of the equation. All right. That's a very nice place to to tie a bow on it, I think, or, or end it. So thank you Liz, for this short overview of the book. That was excellent. I wish you best of success with it. Where can people find out more about well, Hinge at one hand and probably the book itself? Yeah, well, they can go to hingemarketing.com and there's a library section where they will see the book. And so All right. please connect with us there. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Excellent. That's all I have for today. So thanks for making time and stopping by and have a good rest of your Friday. I'll stop the recording right here. If I can find the button, that is. Oh, there we go. Thanks for listening to Unbillable Hours. If you want more, tune in next week. You know where to find us. 